we can no longer continue to make policy for ourselves, in our country, in our region, in our continent, on the basis of whatever support the Western world or France or the European Union can give us. Our responsibility is to charter a path which is about how we can develop our nations ourselves. By now, we should be able to finance our basic needs ourselves. This continent, with all that has happened, is still today the repository of at least 30% of the most important minerals of the world. It has the youngest population of any of the continents in the world. These young men who are showing so much resilience and ingenuity in crossing the Sahara, finding ways to go across with rickety boats across the Mediterranean to really Those energies, we want to have those energies working inside our countries. And we're going to have those energies working in our countries if we begin to build systems that tell the young people of our country that their hopes are right here with us. Migration and the movement of people is being presented in a manner which suggests that somehow it's a new phenomenon. There's nothing new about it. And it has always been linked to the same thing, the failure of where you are to provide you with an opportunity. So you move somewhere. We want young Africans to stay in Africa. Ghana's president, Nana Akufo-Addo, with royal grace, told the president of France that while Africa is grateful to Western taxpayers, it was time for African leaders to step up to provide for the basic needs of Africans themselves, to create an Africa for Africans by Africans so that the continent of vast resources and human capacity can finally become the global powerhouse it ought to be. On this episode, you'll hear about what's been happening in Africa beyond the dismissive commentary we've been hearing and the negative images we've been seeing in the news. Hopefully, after listening to this show, you'll reimagine Africa as a place of immense advancement, of endless opportunity, and vast innovation. Thank you for tuning in. Now on to the show. You are listening to What in the World right here on WERALP Arlington, Virginia. I am your host, Fumi Akenasotu. Welcome to Wakanda, y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I've turned Arlington Independent Media uh, into the majestic splendor of the fictional African community from the film Black Panther. Turned it into Wakanda just for the next like hour or so. Uh, Wakanda focuses on the future, but today I have two special guests to talk about Africa in uh, the present and uh, in honor of the film and it's Black History Month. We're going to talk about the positive things coming out of Africa from a business perspective, from a policy perspective. Uh, We'll weave in some trade agreements. Don't worry, we're going to explain all of this. Janelle's going to explain all of this for us. Um, And we're going to have a a good time and have an opportunity to learn something different about Africa. We'll talk about Africa's progression and why it's not only great for Africans, but also for the United States and really the rest of rest of the world. So let me introduce our two Africa enthusiasts and experts, uh, Brian Dawson and Janelle Cray Pelamoco. Uh, thank you both for coming here. Um, Brian is the director of East and Southern Africa at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, where she helps American businesses of all sizes engage with African countries. Uh, she's been in the game for 16 years and worked in the Obama administration before this um, at USCID with uh, 
uh, and we talked about them in previous episodes, but she's working on some game-changing initiatives coming out of Africa, uh, including Power Africa, Trade Africa, the Young African Leaders Initiative. And so she's going to give us her perspective on her time there and just what she's learned in Africa. She's lived there before for many years, and uh, now she's doing work from the United States, but helping businesses get connected there. She's also from California. Yep, West Side. Uh, Janelle has worked for the federal government for 10 years, for over 10 years, actually, helping to secure our nation's borders by facilitating trade. She started off in the federal government testing textile goods for major retailers, think Target, think Costco, um, and making sure that stuff wasn't fake. Right, Janelle? Yeah, and that it just meant certain specifications here in the U.S. so you wouldn't have a product that was defective. Defective meaning, can we say knockoff? Knockoff. And (laughs) if you expect your luggage to carry a certain weight, the handle not to break, making sure that it doesn't break. Facts. Mm -hmm. Facts, because that's kind of embarrassing when you've got your Chanel bag. And and... important. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Chanel's traveled to many countries um, around the world, making sure that the manufacturers who actually put the stuff that we use, the manufacturers who put that stuff together, are abiding by all of the trade agreement regulations and rules and and policies and they're not using you know two-year-olds to put together the handle on your Chanel bag and one of the trade agreements she works on which we're going to talk about later on today is AGOA and we're going to explain what exactly AGOA is but um, we're we're hoping that you guys will learn when you look at your fabric uh, the the slayage of fabric that you'll see this weekend uh, at the at the release of Black Panther you'll have a little bit of understanding of where that fabric has come from what it's what it's what it's gone through to get here um, and to make sure that, you know, what we're wearing is is abiding by all of the fancy rules of trade agreements. Uh, Janelle is originally from Buffalo, New York. Yes, where the winters are yes. rough. Janelle is my friend uh, who I go to for fashion advice. Brian is my body goals. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so between the, hashtag quote, between the two of them, I'm like the perfect woman. And, and, and they've both got great experiences to share with us. Brianne, we'll start with you. You've lived in South Africa for many, many years. Tell us how you went from sunny California to South Africa. Why? 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 That's a very good question. And I'm really thrilled to be on this program and excited to be here on Wakanda penultimate lead up to this <laughs> amazing uh, back Black Panther movie. Wanted to just kind of share with you and your listeners, um, my first love was was really travel. And so I got my first exposures to the continent through travel. And I began my first trip to the continent as an undergraduate student at Georgetown and was privileged to do a study abroad in Senegal, where for the first time I had exposure to African culture, food, cuisine, lived with an African family, ate around a you know table where I shared a meal around a communal pot, and just was completely struck by so many ways in which African-American culture and as a black American, um, some of the values and traditions that we have practiced and my parents are from New Orleans. And so um, just taking those that understanding of those traditions from West Africa and seeing how synonymous they were with some of the practices that I grew up with, with my parents, um, and then just wanting to uh, really learn more and became thirsty to learn more about the continent and its people and its history. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And Janelle from Buffalo, New York. Uh, how did you get from Buffalo to... <laughs> you've been to Madagascar. Uh, Mauritius. To- uh, Lesotho. Uh, been to South Africa. Um, 
on accident. So it was not um, how I planned my life out. I have a degree in fashion and a degree in history. And the degree that I have in fashion technology, I thought I wanted to be a buyer. So they are the ones that go out and scout the clothes that then stock the stores that folks shop in, department stores, Macy's, um, JCPenney things like that. And I took a course that put me in a totally different direction. I ended up in a testing lab, as you mentioned earlier. And I kind of was like, I needed something more stable. And I found out that the government had an agency that dealt with textiles and apparel and an enforcement perspective. And I thought that is really interesting and cool. I'm going to try that out. Um, got in and absolutely loved it. And so I've been working with textiles and apparel for um, a little over 10 years now. I'm for the federal government. And yeah, I just fell into it. And with working with them, I then was able to go to Africa <laughs> um, and several countries in Africa. And it was an amazing experience. And um, I don't know if I would have gotten it um, without travel in any other way. And then you're able to see it in a different way, not just from a travel perspective, but really what makes some of that economy tick, mm -hmm. right? And so you look at, and from my perspective, your clothes differently. You look at prices. You 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 just look at jeans will never look the same to me after some of the things <laughs> that I've seen. So um, that's what happened. I just kind of fell into it, mm -hmm. you know? So for listeners out there, you may not know your path, and the path you're on may lead you to great things yeah. and mind it. Like, so. I, I, like I said, Janelle is my, my fashion consultant, <laughs> and I'm willing to share her services if you ever want to know <laughs> if, if your Burberry bags are real or hey. if, if they're following all the trade regulations. That's how I got my start. So, <laughs> uh, so let's, let's jump right in. We've learned more about the role of trade and development in advancing foreign policy, America's foreign policy, and the idea is that trade partners are less likely to go to war with one another and the intention with development of foreign assistance, at least from America's vantage point, supporting developing countries and helping them rebuild their economies and basic infrastructure is actually good for the country itself. So for the United States, if we're investing in Madagascar, there's something in Madagascar that we need, but also there's something that Madagascar needs from America beyond just like foreign assistance. And so recognizing um, full well that there have been and there are questionable policies on the part of development and part of foreign assistance, I think we can still agree that America in particular and their relationship with Africa is a little more nuanced um, and probably on a better ground than in previous decades. We see a lot of African countries, and Brian's going to talk about this, we see a lot of African countries um, now better off than they were 20, 30 years ago, um, trading with the United States and not just receiving, you know, foreign as assistance. And so Africa is often characterized as a place of instability and problems and there's migration issues. We had an episode recently about human trafficking and slavery, um, and, and we talked about that in the context of Africa. But on this show and in this episode, we want people to know that the tide has shifted for the continent, for many countries on the continent, and there are great things happening. So Brian, you've worked in South Africa um, on the development side, and uh, now you're intimately involved in Africa issues on the business side at the, at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And we've seen a lot of growth in Africa over the last 20 years. A report from Brookings cites that the value of the amount of goods uh, produced in Africa 
Africa, what we call the GDP, grew nearly 5% from 2000 to 2014. And it's gotten an average annual rate of growth at 5%. And it's continuing to grow. And there are countries that are doing very well. So what's been going on in Africa, uh, Brian, up until this point? Like what's causing this growth um, in, in these African countries? So I think that there are a lot of uh, things to unpack in so much of what you said. And um, I want to start by just kind of touching on the diversity of the African continent in terms of the 54 countries uh, and all of the uh, unique aspects of uh, the economies and the different drivers of economic growth that we might be seeing in a, any given economy on the continent. So the various nations that are comprised of the African continent, 54 of them, have you know really unique uh, demographic profiles, economic histories, their culture, their political makeup. And I think it's just important, and I'll um, just throw out a couple of examples here, to recognize that uh, the factors that might be driving an economy on the continent you know, will differ based on on the characteristics of a particular country. So take a country, for uh, example, like Namibia, Southwest African nation comprised of 2 million people or so. Um, and because it has a desert basically running right through the middle of the country, um, it has very low population density, but it has great access to the Atlantic and is able to trade um, and offshore oil, reserve, offshore gas reserves, you know, that's one factor. And then if you take another country and starkly contrast it, Nigeria, for example, 187 <laughs> million people. I know one that's very close to your heart, Boomi. <laughs> the population of Nigeria is expected to surpass 300 million by 2050. Um, it has much higher population density um, as an oil exporting country. And you're going to see the Nigerian workforce surpass the workforce of the United States. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of the demographic aspects that we're seeing across the continent that's also going to shape the uh, trajectory of, of different markets and the continent as a whole. So you touched on um, GDP and um, just for your listeners, that's you know a very important economic measure as is productivity. I'm also cognizant of the great work that McKinsey has been doing around this. They've really taken a look at what's happening on GDP and productivity for all of the countries uh, across the continent. And they separate this into three different categories. Countries that are oil exporters, countries that are in the northern uh, part of Africa that are recovering um, from the Arab Spring, and then finally, a third category that's considered stable growing category. And what we are seeing in terms of um, the oil exporting nations is that the declining price of oil um, has really impacted the economies of Algeria, Angola, Nigeria, Sudan. And the rate of growth in those countries has fallen sharply, which has been driven by those declining oil prices. And also northern countries, Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, they haven't grown at all, largely because they're still recovering from the, the political mm -hmm. instability from the Arab Spring. But then the story that I think is lesser known and one that I think is really positive um, is that in this third category, which is actually the majority of the rest of the continent, has been maintaining a stable growth rate at about 4.4% a year and productivity at 1.7%. And we're anticipating that African business opportunities on the continent and a lot of these growth markets are going to be estimated at $5 trillion, $5 trillion by 2025. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is going to be driven by what we're seeing in terms of rapid urbanization, rapid demographic growth, 
and just growth and opportunity. What do you think is actually causing African countries to sort of go on this growth trajectory? Well, I think it depends. Um, Certainly uh, countries that are more democratic, more stable, or ultimately more prosperous. Um, And I think that um, the research suggests that that is because to grow and to thrive, businesses need stable countries with which to trade, uh, rule of law or laws that actually govern how they might interact or set up businesses. But I think also um, what we're seeing in terms of democracy is that it's just become a bit more of the accepted uh, norms. Um, And while we're seeing some trends where we've had, you know, two steps forward and a few steps back on democracy and the dividends that citizens are experiencing from democracies. So they may elect uh, a leader, but then um, they might also see a crackdown on human rights. Those are some of the trends that we're seeing as well. Um, by and large, uh, countries that are, are more democratic, um, have a predictable rule of law and a stable business climate are more conducive for business. And then underlying all of the rapid um, technological change mm-hmm. um, and what we're seeing in terms of you know countries leapfrogging certain technologies here in the U.S., our uh, telecoms industry was built first on a Uh, interconnected um, system, more people on the continent have cell phones long before they get you know, access to a landline. And so African countries are also leapfrogging with this technological change and taking advantage of, of, of some of the um, growth in the technology uh, industry and some of the infrastructure. And uh, when you were at USAID, you worked on Power Africa. Tell us what Power Africa is about and, and how, you know, that's played into sort of the things that are happening on the continent. Sure. So Power Africa fundamentally was a uh, Obama-driven initiative Uh, President Obama um, and his team saw the importance of providing access to electricity to uh, the two-thirds of African citizens that don't have access. And that electricity uh, access also creates um, not only opportunities for uh, kids to be able to read um, and to have uh, lights and lighting after school, Um, or for medicines to be uh, refrigerated, but it really also undergirds the businesses that want to invest. And so unlocking Africa's uh, energy potential is also a really important pillar of uh, the Obama administration's efforts to uh, increased partnership with the continent. What's interesting about Power Africa, though, is that, um, you know, it's a great initiative, but it also opens up opportunities for other countries to come into Africa and and partner and trade and, and do business with, with the market. So tell us, did, did you have any experience with like China? And I know this is a big debate in the foreign policy world about China's reach into the African market. And Janelle's going to also talk about this, you know, with, with AGOA and some of her work. But Brian, you know, what we, we, we develop Africa with our with, with our own interest in mind, for better or worse. But then when we do that, other countries benefit as well. So what's what sort of are, are your thoughts about China and their, you know, entry into into Africa? Well, I think China is a really unique uh, example of uh, a nation that has really seen the economic potential of the continent and has been taking advantage of those economic opportunities through a wide range of initiatives and efforts. And so um, just as an example, in December 2015, President Xi Jinping committed $60 billion of new investment in major capital to projects across Africa. And this is capital that is desperately needed, capital that um, helps to support infrastructure and growth on the continent. 
um, and also opens up financing more broadly so that African countries can also trade with each other. Um, and it also helps to, you know, create more opportunity for the infrastructure to grow for that trade to also um, become more commercially viable and to lower cost, um, most importantly. I think that on the continent, it's been a very fascinating evolution in terms of um, how beneficial is Chinese investment to uh, the African countries? And um, the notion of America first, you know, is not a new concept. And the Chinese have been approaching their relationship with Africa as as China first. <laughs> and so I think that we need to, as practitioners in this space, also encourage African countries to take advantage of their country first and how they do business, whether it's with the Chinese or with the Americans or whoever lines up to get a deal done. Which is actually what the Indian president uh, in the clip I played earlier as part of the show was talking about, you know, basically in Africa created by Africans for Africans and, and being able to hold your leaders accountable um, is important because you're going to have countries with their interests, with their, you know, me first agenda. Absolutely. Uh, just like African countries have a me first agenda, other countries have a me first agenda. So it's important that you have the political um, accountability of these leaders to make sure that they protect the interests of the African people in Absolutely. their country as well. So I think that's interesting. And so let's bring this home just a little bit before we jump to Janelle. And so could you share just any, you know, stories uh, or success stories or examples that illustrate why Africa's growth is is beneficial to to Americans here in the United States. Are there any examples that you can share? There are a lot, actually. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that you're talking about examples that are creating jobs yes, back here at home. Course. I mean, what else would I be talking about? So coming back to the Power Africa example, um, General Electric. Um, has been trading uh, with support from the U.S. government and investing on the continent in turbines and uh, health care um, and a wide range of um, different services. And actually, GE investments over uh, recent years with Power Africa support have resulted in 1,500 jobs right here at home. Mm. So that's one way in which America is benefiting um, but also this is mutually beneficial, and I'm um, really excited to be on the show with Janelle, who's going to talk a lot more about the ways in which we see African products here in the markets mm -hmm. in the U.S. and <laughs> how that benefits us as well. It's benefiting us right now. The viewers can't see it, but I have on the table my best Ankara, but <laughs> it's my African fabric. One of the things I love is to walk around with all of the different wares that I procure in various <laughs> African countries and to just, you know, bask in all of the compliments that I get wearing beautiful African cloth. Also, um, all of the incredible jewelry and fashion that you find. I um, want to plug a particular um, organization that I work with that actually reinvests all of its profits into educating small and medium entrepreneurs. It's called Indigo Africa. Um, and what they do is they work with women who have been impacted by HIV AIDS and um, are highly vulnerable. And they have helped them actually produce products um, to a very high standard and integrated those products um, into the global value chain. So you'll see companies like Kate Spade actually mm -hmm. using products that were woven by Rwandese women artisans that are reflected in, you know, uh, in a Kate Spade purse. Mm -hmm. um, and we very seldom actually recognize um, that with these globally integrated supply chains that actually quite a number of products that are being exported from the continent are actually um, you know, in these major brands right, that right um, here in that, Arlington, Virginia. Yep, at that you can buy at the mall down yeah, down the street. street. Right, right. Awesome. That's I think that's great. And um, speaking of of our K 
Kate Spades and the fabrics and all the beauty that comes out of the, the, the colorful slayage that is Ankara fabric. Um, the exports, though, that many think about when they think of Africa um, usually are oil and the minerals, which Africa is very rich in, in all of those. Um, but the textile industry is one of the continent's strongest sectors, growing sectors in many of the countries that Brian, Brian mentioned. And so the United States now is the main destination of sub-Sahara African garments. Um, it exports about a billion dollars worth of apparel to the United States. Uh, so if you look at your collar, maybe it says made in Madagascar. I don't know. But um, but but I didn't I didn't know that before doing research on this on this show. Um, and 10% of the world's cotton comes from Africa. Again, something I didn't I had no idea. Um, and so you don't need to go much farther than this weekend or the next weekend coming up of, of the Black Panther release to witness sort of this explosion and embracing of African fabric, um, the look. So Janelle, uh, Mm -hmm. there is uh, a trade agreement you're going to talk to us about. Um, uh, It's called the African Growth and Opportunities Act. Well, it's it's first a law, but the law creates a trade agreement between the United States and African countries. So Janelle, tell us what the African Growth and Opportunities Act, we call AGOA. What is that? So it's actually not a free trade agreement. Oh, right. So it's a legislated preference program. So What does that mean? It's enacted by Congress, okay. and it's a completely different process than what a trade agreement would go through. And right now um, in the news is NAFTA, where right. NAFTA is a free trade agreement negotiated. Um, they're at the table doing different talks and things like that, where a legislated preference program is enacted by Congress, and the president can, based on certain stipulations, can recommend a country be added or removed if they're not following certain stipulations stipulations of that act. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make that distinction. It's not a free trade agreement. So the, so AGOA is about duty-free, right? And So that's yep. the idea, is that we're not charging them duties, taxes, right. to trade with the United States. Right. Whereas we would with, say, maybe China, <laughs> for right. example. Right. right, right. So free trade agreements and le- legislative programs have that. That's what they have in common. Mm-hmm. It's about a break in duty and taxes and fees. Okay. Right? That is the incentive of having these programs and being a part of these programs. Because the idea is that if you have to pay for these taxes on top of you know the fees to export the goods like the basically it becomes too expensive for a country to ship a product from wherever to the United States. Yeah, I mean, think Madagascar, and not to to jump ahead, but logistically, Madagascar is very, very far. (laughs) So From the United States. From the United States. And to ship here is costly, right? So a benefit to increase production, economic growth would be that country is a part of AGOA, and you could potentially get a duty break if you meet certain requirements of that act. Okay. So... Because of that, companies may want to invest there more because if you think of the duty rates or taxes Mm -hmm. that are on textile and apparel products, they are still some of the highest duty rates that we have. Compared to, say, other products. Yeah, compared to agricultural products, um, electronics. uh, Some of your duty rates in textiles and apparel could be 32%. So that is a huge break if you meet the requirements of a program. And so you might say to yourself, well, maybe I will go to Madagascar and produce because I know on the back end, I'll get this break in duties right. or taxes. So so if you're Kate Spade, <laughs> if they want to sponsor the show, Kate Spade, hit me up. <laughs> if, you're, if you're Kate Spade, 
uh, and you want to manufacture the, the the fabric on the inside of the of the purse, you might go to Madagascar, set up your your facility in Madagascar. You mm-hmm. hire the locals to do whatever they do with that fabric. Yeah. I don't know, sew it into the bag or whatever. So the benefit to Kate Spade is that they're not being taxed to send that bag from Madagascar to the United States. Right. So they get a duty break they when they import break. it. Yeah. Okay. And so when you go into Madagascar, which you have been, yeah. what do you, when you say these countries or these manufacturers have to meet certain criteria or standards, what exactly are you looking for them to meet? I really want to um, have the listeners understand that they produce so much more. Um, and what folks may not know is that a lot of denim mm-hmm. comes out of the continent for the, for the countries that are a part of AGOA. So your baby fat jeans? Not necessarily baby fat. And I'm not going <laughs> to name drop, name drop brands. Oh, yeah, but you know, um, a lot of denim, quality denim mm-hmm. comes out. There are also high end designers that do clothes and fabulous works. Um, and one of those countries that kind of does some higher end stuff is Mauritius and Madagascar. You will see some different stuff coming out of there (laughs) than just your basic cotton tees um, that you might find in some of your other countries that are um, exported out of the area. So fabric, yes, but they have definitely expanded the market into other areas. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I put that point to home. I appreciate it. And also wanted to make the point that with the Goa, um, Brianne said there's 54 uh, countries, not every country is a part of a goal, mm, mm-hmm. right? So right now you have 37 countries that are a part of the act or take part in the act and only about 28 of those countries actually can export textile and apparel goods. So there are extra requirements that are put in place for textile and apparel uh, manufacturers to take part of the agreement. Okay. Okay. So definitely wanted to make that distinction. You can be a part of a GOA um, and take part of some of those duty breaks. But in order to take advantage of textile and apparel duty breaks, there's an extra piece okay. that is needed for um, companies to to meet. And so the, the companies, though, are they owned by Africans? Uh, most cases, no. And it depends on the country and it depends on their structure. Um, some countries you go to, they don't allow foreign ownership. Mm. Um, the companies come in and a lot of them are Asian companies. They rent the factory space and the country is responsible for making sure that there's water, electricity and things like that. But the benefit of having those foreign uh, manufacturer factory owners come in is that they build the infrastructure that Brianne talked about. So you come in, you rent the factory, but you're going to build roads to get your goods out. And whether or not those factories remain, those roads are still there, which helps that area again with economic development, right? Right. So it just depends on what country you're talking about. Some you do find local ownership, which is amazing when you go there and you see that it's a local that owns it and they're doing great. Um, and in some, they're renting. They're renting. Yeah. But still, the benefit is there of just having them there. Right. And it's creating jobs. Um, a lot of times we see that they have started job training mm. or they have a tr- uh, an actual system of job training, giving the locals skill sets. So if this program is no longer there, they have acquired a skill that maybe they can start a business on their own, work with someone overseas and build, still continue to build economically, right? Which right. is really important right. um, because AGOA is not forever. Agoa expires. Mm, talk about that um, a little bit more. I don't think I mentioned you know, that yet. So, <laughs> it was just reauthorized. Yeah, it was just, yeah. Can, yeah, tell us. Yeah, so <laughs> it, was just, it was just reauthorized. It's now going until September of 2025. And the year, I think, was maybe around 2015 where it was up for um, to be extended. Mm-hmm. And 
And um, I happened to be over on the continent visiting um, a, a country, some factories, during a time when we just didn't know if it would be. And what I found to be interesting, and I think this is why when we talk about Africa becoming self-sufficient and and finding a way to make sure that they can continue on with some of the economic development that has come from agreements like AGOA is important because these things could expire. Right. As I said earlier, the benefit of creating and manufacturing in Africa is this duty break, right? Because logistically, it costs a lot to ship. Mm-hmm. So I happened to be over there, and some of the factory owners were like, well, if it doesn't get extended, you know, we're talking about what we're going to do to pull out because they no longer have that break. And and remember, again, the area that I am most familiar with is apparel, mm-hmm. and we have some of the highest duty rates. So it's important that they're able to sustain right. because if it goes away and those factories go away, those are the jobs. Right. A lot of them have HIV and AIDS testing that they mm. do at the factory. So wow. they're very integrated right. into the local community. And so it's kind of like a multi-service. It's yeah. not, just, not service, yeah. but multi-purpose yeah. institution yeah. for that community. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it benefits the community and it benefits them. Right. right? You want your workers to be healthy and right, be right, able right. to come to work and right. do different things. It kind of reminds me yeah. of um, like like a, here in the United States, like a Detroit, where you've got like these major manufacturing companies like a GM or... Or, or Ford, you know, when they left, just the the void, the yeah. economic, political, social, all of that, the void that it leaves uh, yeah. those communities. And I would imagine is similar to... And they employ a lot of people. They employ a lot they of people. They employ a lot right. of people right. in the local community. So, I mean, it, if it does go away, it is a big void. And we would hope that maybe through some of the initiatives that even Brianna's has talked about in small business, that they're able to sustain that, right? Because right. you would hate to see it then become... You're back to square one. Right. 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 And yeah. one of the things, just jumping in here, yeah. that we'd like to see countries also take better advantage of with um, their AGOA eligibility is also uh, exporting other products. Yes. Because the appetite for renewing it is pretty low. Right. right. Yeah. And, and it is. And, I, and uh, one of the last trips that I went over there and, and, and we do some training Again, just talking about the benefits. Meaning you train the, the employees and the super, like the people. No, who... so it's more government to government. Got it. Right, okay. training. Um, and especially, like I said, some countries can lose access to AGOA if they're not meeting some of the requirements and stipulations of the act. Um, some of those requirements are market access, um, labor requirements, workers' rights. You right. know, these are all things written into this act. And if um, a country is not following or is not making progress towards those things they can lose access to it it's just coming up with a good game plan to do so and also ensuring that the benefits of whatever comes out of that really right. trickles down to people yeah, let's talk yeah. about that yeah um, because yeah. Yeah. you know the reality is that um to your earlier point janelle that um so many of these companies you know they may not be owned locally and um you know when they fold up shop there's a really negative consequence um but also just in terms of where are those dividends being seen in terms of quality of life for people locally and mm-hmm. i know that these are things that we pay attention to closely here in the U.S. as we think about, you know, companies that are making a lot of profit. But then um, are we seeing that really uh, result in more uh, sharing of those benefits right. by, by people that may be left out of our economic, uh, the dividends of our economic right. system? Right. Yeah. 
for people who are wondering why we're investing, right? It doesn't actually work. It's important for people to see that there are um, mechanisms in place to make sure that our energy, our resources, our money is actually being used towards, you know, the good, right? Hmm. And really helping countries to build the infrastructure to be able to trade with the United States and, and all this other stuff. I know in past shows, you have spoken about the various tools of our national security, whether it's defense, mm-hmm. development, or diplomacy. And in this way, the U.S. leverages the wide range of its tools to ensure that its interests are protected. On the development side of this, the objective is to ensure that countries also, you know, economically, politically, they sustain themselves yeah. longer term. And so um, that's the intention behind what we do with the development dollars that taxpayers pay for. And that is in our interest, right? Um, the Ebola crisis obviously struck a lot of us um, and hit close to home because we realized disease has no borders. Right. Um, and Neither you know, does climate change, by the way. But well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. To, to pay attention to um, how prosperity in a nation can also infect the well-being of people well beyond the borders. And, and again, uh, it, it is, this draws a direct line to the intro of the show, you know, where the president of Ghana was talking about, you know, the youth who are leaving Africa and risking their lives to cross oceans and and go through deserts to get to places like, you know, Italy and Israel and all these places abroad, they could be here. Well, there (laughs) they could be in Africa doing the same, using that energy for something else Mm -hmm. to start a business, to do something in the tech and the tech space. And um, yeah, I find it, I find it when I hear things in the news about people saying, well, why are we spending so much money in Africa, you know, why is the government, you know, over there, we should be doing things here at home. And I'm like, you guys don't realize that, like, people move because they want opportunity. And if we can help another country stabilize, yeah. you know, people won't need to move. They'll <laughs> stay. They'll and, stay and where grow they the are. economy at, exactly, at home. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the president also talked about how, you know, Italy and Ireland, you know, back in the day weren't the best places to be, which is why many of them came to the United States looking for opportunity. Right. And so great. both tools to, to try and make sure that they can sustain themselves economically and are growing in a positive direction. Right. Right. So, right. I mean, back in this term is very, very old, but it's trade not aid. So it's kind of like, from a development side, if or an act such as a GOA to help push them in that direction, but definitely hoping that through the development that Brian's talking about that they can sustain right, right, um, the prosperity and economic growth that they've seen through some of these tools. Right. Because things have. are gonna yeah. change, man. America first yeah. has a different a different set of agendas yeah, than the previous know, governments and the United States, you know, and other Western countries, things happen in their countries and those monies may not be flowing yeah. uh, uh, like in previous years. So, yeah, I definitely agree with the president. I agree with the both of you that, you know, sustainability and it's not just Africa. It's anywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, that they're that they're able to to hold their their own when things when things change. And one quick um, fact. So Representative Karen Bass out of California whoop, whoop. <laughs> is a, a huge advocate for AGOA and for U.S. Africa relations and, um, you know, has just been at the helm of making sure that AGOA continues and and that people in America see the value of AGOA and certainly partnerships and trade opportunities with with the continent. And one of the things that she cites is that um, for Los Angeles, that city exports around three hundred and ninety million dollars a year to 
African customers. And I'm sure there are cases like this all around. There really are. The United States, Brianna, mm-hmm. you, you are, work with the Chamber of Commerce. So I know you see how American businesses are taking advantage of the opportunity to expand their market. And Africa is where a lot of those items are going. Absolutely. Roughly 700 or so um, large uh, and medium enterprises exposed to African markets. Um, We're not even fully capturing. Um, We do capture in terms of uh, products, but we don't fully capture in terms of services, the real uh, value of uh, U.S. uh, business uh, exposure to the continent and what exactly is happening in the form of trade. So I I don't know any other way to like drive this home to people, but it it is beneficial, um, this partnership that we have with the continent. And and I'm sure there are many who are who could think of, you know, negative examples or weaknesses. Everything has its weakness. But I think I would say that in terms of where Africa has been um, and where it is today, I don't know if it'll end up like a Wakanda. But but I think for right now, I think that these programs that we have, these partnerships that we have that Brianna is talking about and that Janelle are talking about um, are mutually beneficial. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of African countries do see the value in it and want to be self-sustaining and want to control their own, you know, economy and 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 make sure that Africans stay in Africa and and contribute. And I I personally see the value. Being a child of immigrants, I see the value because that means I can get more fabric into my house and I can I can bring home my shea butter and and my rub and all the fancy things. Yeah, <laughs> you I, should talk about shea butter. Shea butter is amazing. I mean, people <laughs> should really just look at the products You're underneath right. their uh, and look their, where it's made house and check where it's made. Yeah. Um, they may not realize that shea butter hails from West Africa. Right. It's indigenously grown. It's actually quite hard work to extract shea from a nut. From a nut, yeah. Um, it is being exported um, as a skin and hair superfood, mm-hmm. right? And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you'll find it in the body shop and in high-end retailers. Right, exactly. So At the little um, bodega where I get mine, I have some shea butter in my hair right now <laughs> as we speak. Thank you, Ghana. But uh, this has been great. Um, thank you both so much. Thank uh, you. You know, and giving people a different perspective about Africa. Um, I know you both are into um, Afrobeat. Oh, we love it. Of course. I'm speaking for both of us Hello. here. <laughs> we might start dancing this Boomy, wait, you've been to my wedding. So I, you, are, oh, you already know like, what, wedding it, was, what it was. I, I lost weight. Wow. <laughs> I lost weight. We had a Janelle. great time. We had a not a great time. An amazing time. There's no word. There's no word. I'm still sweating. Extravaganza. That sounds An like. extravaganza yeah, of all night time. dancing to Afrobeat and reggae and, and, and Janelle's husband is from Congo. And so like, oh, like, yeah. we, he, like there's no shortage of like great. Kofi Alamidi. Yes, of course. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners, one, thank you for listening. Uh, but you can listen to this show on SoundCloud.com. You can learn more about Africa, um, U.S. relationships and what we're doing there on our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash what in the world podcast. I'm also on Twitter, WITW pod. Um, this was already a great conversation. It ended on a high note, but I chose a song. Uh, well, an artist who I love. Yemi. Uh, her song is called Africa. <laughs> it's okay if you're dancing in your seat as well, but I chose Yemi Alade's um, song called Africa, which pays homage to the diversity and the color and the beauty and the coolness and the dopeness and the vast, just amazingness. Yeah. 
Boomi, thank you for being an awesome brand ambassador for the continent. <laughs> yeah. We we owe a debt of gratitude to you for being on the show and also just all that you do to promote the continent and uh, promote U.S.-Africa ties. It's uh, really in the continent's people um, that really I think people will get to see all of the potential that exists in uh, an even deeper relationship. Thank so thanks for having us. And the diversity in the, in the cultures, depending on where you go, is amazing for someone who kind of just fell into it. Right, you from, know? from Buffalo. Yeah, <laughs> I think, as you said earlier, I think people try and put it in this box, and it's so much more than that, and it's so diverse, and beautiful and amazing, and in little unexpected ways. Right. You know, so yeah, definitely, if anybody has not been, just pick a place and go. <laughs> just throw a dart. <laughs> just, you know, and, and then pick another place and be wowed again at right. how great and different of an experience you'll have depending on where you are yeah so. again and hit me up uh, an email or on twitter um, if you have thoughts about about what's happened or if you want to share some of your own experiences visiting the continent or ideas for how businesses actually Brian, before i forget mm-hmm. if a business wants to engage in the african market how exactly do they do that well first i mean what janelle said in terms of just understanding the market is fundamental um so you got to get there right uh, you need to know <laughs> right. who you're trading with um, and meet with whoever you're working with, do your vetting. Um, so it depends on what side. If you're an African uh, company that's looking to trade with the U.S., you also need to do your due diligence and your homework in seeking the right markets back here in the U.S. and building partnerships. Similarly, if you're doing business from the U.S. to the continent, uh, get to know the market, do your vetting. Um, you can take advantage of the great resources that exist in the U.S. government in terms of the Foreign Commercial Service. Um, and so I think um, doing all of your homework and um, just really, you know, get get out there. But you also just need to kind of be inventive and be flexible and really just uh, flex to the opportunities. That's a perfect way to end the show. Yep. Flex to the opportunities. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you. Thank you.